Last week we spoke to you from the book of Acts chapter 4, and we noticed in verse 12 where the enemies of the church in that particular day took notice of two men by the name of Peter and John, and they noticed three things about them. They noticed the boldness of Peter and John, and we tried to stress the difference between boldness of the flesh and boldness of the spirit. In uh, Proverbs 28 and 1, it says, The righteous are as bold as a lion. And certainly we see this brought to our attention here with Peter and John. They're very bold, but their boldness is in the spirit and with the power that God had given unto them. Indeed, these were two very righteous men. They also perceived they were ignorant and unlearned men. That simply means that they were ordinary fishermen with just an ordinary Jewish boy education. They were not part of the scribes. Uh, they were not uh, part of the establishment among the Jews of that day of the highly educated. They did not grow up at the feet of Gamaliel, which was a very well-known, famous uh, Jewish doctor of the law. Uh, they saw that distinction, and they were just amazed at this. And then they took notice that they'd been with Jesus. And I think that was probably the most important thing of the three things I just mentioned. Now, the man that had been healed that brought all this about uh, beginning of chapter 3 was a lame man from his mother's womb and he was now well, 40 years old so he'd been lame for 40 years he didn't come in this world you know with being able to walk and then through some sickness or disease or something uh, become lame he was lame his entire life and he was healed and immediately after being healed he began to stand and to jump and to run and shout and of course you can imagine uh, I think hopefully that's what I would do as well but he was standing right there with Peter and John. And so they began to consider the authorities, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, what they were going to do about this because they didn't want the gospel to continue to be preached. Uh, they had thought they had gotten rid of this man named Jesus. And you remember when Jesus was resurrected, he spent 40 days on this earth, but he did not appear unto the world in general. He only appeared to his disciples. Now, you know, I might have thought he'd have went into Jerusalem and showed those chief priests, scribes, and elders. You may have thought you got rid of me, you crucified me, but here I am. That's not the way the Lord operates. The Lord didn't do that. He did appear frequently to his disciples, and after 40 days, he left this earth and ascended, went back into glory. But he gave them a commandment found in Acts 1 and 8. He says, Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Samaria and to the othermost parts of the earth. That's his command. Now remember that. Because now these people who are in authority, they get together on the side, so to speak, and discuss what are we going to do about this matter. We cannot deny that a miracle has taken place. The man that the miracle had been performed is standing right there beside these two men, and the people in general had gathered together as a large company of people who had witnessed all of this. So that was to be taken into consideration. So they thought the very best thing we can do at this time is to threaten them very seriously and command that they not speak in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or teach in his name anymore. They just wanted to go away. But Peter and John said, whether we should hearken unto you or obey the Lord, you judge that. And then we look at verse 20. But as far as we're concerned, we cannot help but speak those things which we have both heard and seen. So let's think about that this morning. Things we have heard and seen. Now, these two men 
had great boldness, but the boldness was not in the flesh. It was not in their cells. It was in the power of the Lord. Read the word boldness three times in this chapter. And if you come toward the end of the chapter, you'll find where it says, and the apostles uh, had great power. Great power is given unto them as they preached the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them. They had great grace, and therefore they had great power, or you might say they were given great power to go along with the great grace, and they were witnesses again of his resurrection. The emphasis in the early chapters of Acts, actually throughout the entire book, is on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we emphasize that a name, especially the name of Jesus, carried weight. It carried authority. It was a, a name of reputation. Um, and so the name was very, very significant. And they did not want this man's name and who it represented to be taught and preached in their synagogues and in their cities. And so they threatened them very seriously. But Peter and John now are faced with a dilemma. Do we obey the command of the magistrates, of those in authority, or do we obey the voice of God? Now, that's a decision that ministers today among the old Baptists, the primitive Baptist church, are going to have to face down the road probably in the not too distant future. And not only us, but our churches and you, are we going to obey God or are we going to obey man? Now, lots of times, the laws of man do not contradict the laws of God. But from time to time, they do. And if it's clear, there needs to be a clear distinction between the two, then I believe we're under obligation to obey the Lord. That can come with consequences. Now, we see this as nothing new. If you go back to Exodus chapter 1, you will read where Pharaoh had given a command to the midwives to slay the Hebrew children, the sons. But those Hebrew wives knew it was wrong to murder babies. Something our nation apparently doesn't think so because our nation legally supports abortion. That's taking life. It's murder. And we're suffering consequences as a nation today. I have no question, no doubt in my mind, a lot of the things we're going through today are consequences of what we've sown and now we're reaping as a nation. Okay? We need to pray to God daily about this. So they disobeyed Pharaoh, and God blessed them in doing so. He took care of them. In chapter 2, we find where the parents of Moses also knew what the command was, but they didn't slay their son Moses. They delivered him. They provided a, a safety for him. You come to the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6. Well, first of all, the first chapter of Daniel. And you'll find where Daniel and the Hebrew children had been taken into Babylonian captivity. And the, the king had called out, so to speak, uh, all the, you might say, the, the brightest and uh, the most gifted of the children. That included the children of the captivity. And that was Daniel and the Hebrew children. And he said, give them all a diet of the king's meat and the king's wine, the very best. But Daniel knew in the Hebrew children too, but Daniel takes charge. Daniel knew in doing that, they would be forced to eat that which was unclean, contrary to God's word. They'd be forced to eat that which was offered to idols, contrary to God's word. And so Daniel goes to the prince of the eunuchs, and he makes a request concerning this, and the prince of the eunuchs says, well, if I make an exception to you, my neck will be on the line. My life might very well be taken. And Daniel says, well, just give us 10 days is all we ask, 10 days. 
and just give us water instead of wine. Give us the seeds of beans and peas, which is what the word pulse means, instead of the king's meat, the very best the king had to offer. Just give us that, and then you compare us to all the others who had the best of the king's meat and the king's wine. And the prince of the eunuch, through the providence of God, agreed to do that. And after 10 days, the scripture says that Daniel and the Hebrew children, their flesh, their face, their countenance was far fairer than that of those who had the very best that the king could offer in contrast to water and seeds of beans and uh, peas. Now, I'll be quite frank with you. I, I, I'm not interested in going on that kind of diet. <laughs> I just am not. I don't even like the word diet because you take the T off at the end of it, you got the word diet, D-I-E. I just, that don't appeal to me. Just doesn't appeal to me at all. So I just try to use a little self-constraint, you know, work on it daily. I weigh you every day. I try to keep on top of it. <laughs> but the point is, they looked to the Lord. The Lord gave them the grace, gave them the strength, gave them the courage to follow him rather than the laws of the land. In the sixth chapter of Daniel, you find where Daniel, knowing a decree had been signed by the king for his time, time period of 30 days, was not to pray to any other god than the god of the heathens. Daniel would not do that. As a result, he got cast into a den of lions, but God sent an angel, and the angel shut the mouths of the lions and delivered Daniel out of it. The Hebrew children in Daniel chapter 3 faced a similar situation. Whenever, whenever a decree of the king came that any time they heard the sound of musical instruments, he directed a gigantic image. They were to fall down and worship that image. And the Hebrew children says, we don't even have to think about this. Said, so we're not going to do it. Our God is able to deliver us out of thy hand, O king. And the Lord did. They were put into a fiery furnace, but the Lord Jesus Christ appeared as the fourth one in that furnace, fiery furnace, right? The king looked in and says, I put in three, I see four. And one's likened to the Son of God. He became a shield to protect the Hebrew children from the heat. Their hair, hair of their head wasn't singed. The smell of smoke was not on their clothes. So this is not anything new. So we come to the days of the apostles, they're faced with a similar dilemma here. But we notice the attitude of Peter and John. And as I mentioned last Sunday, Peter and John are connected together in many places. Actually, you go all the way back to the time of their calling. Uh, they were connected together. But in the book of Acts, in the opening chapters, these two of the, all the other apostles are associated together. They, they're yoked together. They went to the temple to pray at the ninth hour together. They were together, the healing of the lame man. They're together now. And Peter and John both spoke and said, whether it be right in your sight, you know, to obey your law or your command, rather than obey God, you can judge that. So as far as we're concerned, we cannot help but speak those things which we have heard and seen. Now the apostles had heard and seen things that... They felt like they just could not hold to themselves. They had to say something about it. Now, seeing and hearing deals with eyes and ears, right? I look over here in the book of Proverbs, chapter 20 and verse 12. And the wise man Solomon said, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, even God had made both of them. Now, I want us to think about the natural and also the spiritual this morning. He says, The seeing eye, well, to me, what's the eye for if it's not to see? 
and a hearing ear. Well, what's an ear for if it's not to hear? It seems like he could have just said, well, the eye and the ear, God has made both of them. He, but he says the seeing eye and the hearing ear, even God had made both of them. You might go to a doctor's office and there might be a mold over there of an ear or, or an eye. Uh, have you ever seen that eye wink at you? Have you ever uh, heard that ear, that mold of an ear uh, respond to something you might say to it? Of course not. Man can make that, but he cannot make the hearing ear. He cannot make the seeing eye. But God can and he does. Now that's two of the five senses that God has given us in the work of creation. You know, eyes to see, ears to hear, heart to understand. <laughs> but eyes to see, ears to hear, nose to smell, a tongue to taste and hands to handle, touch. That's the five wonderful senses that God has given unto us. How wonderful it is to be blessed in that regard here this morning. It's amazing how the ear works. It's amazing how the eye works. And God gave us the seeing eye and he gave us the hearing ear. In Psalms 94, I believe about verse 9, you'll find where he says, Hath not God, <laughs> hath not God made the eye, had not God formed the ear. Yes, he has. He's reminding us that we can hear and see because God made us that way. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that really amazing? How, how often do we take our eyesight? How often do we take our hearing in these five senses, so to speak, just for granted? We just wake up and we see and we, we hear and, and different things, of course, unless we have some type of affliction or problem. Now, I want to say a little bit more about that in just a moment or two, Lord willing. When Moses, when God called Moses, you go to the uh, third chapter in the uh, uh, fourth chapter, I believe it is, in the book of Exodus. And you find where God has called Moses, go back to the land of Egypt to bring his people out of there. And Moses says to the Lord, he says, I'm not eloquent, I'm of slow speech. He begins to complain to the Lord and he's just really not qualified to be able to go down there and communicate and get the job done. And the Lord asked him to question, who hath made man's mouth? Who made man's mouth? And he says, And who hath made the deaf and the dumb and the seeing and the blind? Now, when I read that, I got thinking, well, you know, God's not the author of blindness. And God is not the author of deafness. He's not the author of the inability to speak. But he can certainly do something about it. He made man perfect. He breathed in the nostrils the breath of life to Adam. He made man uh, a perfect individual right there. And his eyesight and his hearing and everything else. But why are there people in this world who don't have eyesight? Why are there people in this world that cannot hear and have impediment of speech, etc., etc.? It's because we live in a sinful world, a sinful environment, and we have a sinful nature, and sin came in this world, and that's why we have all these kind of problems. But I read over here in the New Testament where the Lord takes care of things like that. I'm reminded of Brother Bobby Buchanan. Some of you don't know the name, but our church in general and most everybody here should. Brother Bobby loved the Lord as much as anybody I think I've ever been around. His wife, Sister Millie, what a delightful couple they were. But Brother Bobby was blind. And at his house, he lived some distance from the mailbox and he, he had a rope uh, tied. As you walked out his back door, tied there uh, to a, a structure, and it, he had it 
running all the way down to the mailbox. And so he would walk out the back door and put his hand on that and walk, walk all the way down to the mailbox so he could get his mail and then use that, that rope to get all the way back to his house. He, he couldn't see. He wouldn't be able to get his mail if something like that had not been arranged. But Brother Bobby, while he might, didn't have any natural eyesight while he was blind, he had spiritual 20-20 vision. <laughs> that man was spiritual. And I remind him from time to time, I said, Brother Bobby, I know you can't see me, but I said, but God's given you 20-20 vision when it comes to your spiritual eyesight. He was a ham, op- uh, ham radio operator. In one of his rooms there, he had a desk and his microphone is, you know, uh, whatever it is, uh, wave radio there. <laughs> anyway, it goes back a long ways, right? Anyway, he would sit there and get on it and talk to people all over this country. You know what he liked to talk about? I mean, he, he, he wouldn't talk about anything else, hardly at all, except the Lord and the things of God. And he had a great understanding of the doctrine of the Bible. He understood God's uh, uh, word when it comes to the doctrine of unconditional election, to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. He was well-versed, well-established, as much as anybody I know of. And oh, how he left to talk about it. He couldn't help but speak those things which he had both seen and heard. And I'm talking about spiritual eyesight at the present time right now. Spiritual eyesight does not come before the new birth. It comes after the new birth. This is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. We come to John chapter 3, verse 3. And I was thinking about this a day or two ago. And, and I was thinking, well, what if I was living in that day and I just walked by and I saw these two men talking and I looked at them and I said, well, I think I know those two men. I believe one of them is Jesus. And I believe the other one is Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a Jew. He was a Pharisee and he was a chief ruler among the Pharisees. And there's a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, I emphasize this because it's important to know not only what Jesus said, but who he said it to. He said this to a Jew, to a religious Jew. It's going to turn out to be a very uh, important Jew. You're going to read about him three times in the Gospel of John. John 3, John 7, John 19. And you're going to find as time goes on, his understanding, his enlightenment gets greater and greater and greater. Here's what the Lord said to him. He said, Verily, verily, truly, truly, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's a kingdom that can be seen. But it cannot be seen by the unregenerate. There's a kingdom that can be seen, but you have to have eyes to see it. And only those who have been born of the Spirit of God have the eyes to see it. Now, sometimes we hear that expression, uh, expression called the eyes of faith. Nothing wrong with that. The Bible actually doesn't use that expression, but that's, that's certainly the case. But here, where do those seeing eyes come from? Where do they come from? They come from the Lord in regeneration. Jesus said further in John chapter 5, verse 25, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man, excuse me, let me go back. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Now, how can the dead hear anything? Physically, they don't have the capability, but God's creation can, and I want you to remember that. God's creation can hear that. And so when you're dead in trespassing and sin, something happens to you in regeneration. You hear the voice of the Son of God, and that voice gives life. And with life comes eyes to see, ears to hear, heart to understand, 
hands to handle, feet to walk in service, all that comes uh, together at one time. Now notice, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Paul says, he says, for the, uh, he says, for their eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, neither has entered the heart of man those things which God had prepared for them that love him. The natural eyes, the natural ear, and the natural heart does not know anything about what God has prepared for them that love him. They only know that after they've been born of the Spirit of God and given seeing eyes and hearing ears and an understanding hearts. Now let's look at this. Here's the heart. Here's the ears and here's the eyes. If you draw a line across here and down here, you've got an upside down triangle. Now I don't know if it's equal or not. You know you've got a, a triangle with equal sides. You can have a triangle with unequal sides. I've forgotten the name of all those. But somehow or another, I think these are all equal. And being upside down just shows me that God always does things totally opposite of what man does. So God gives us those seeing eyes and hearing ears. Now, let's go here to the book of Matthew chapter 13. And the Lord Jesus Christ begins speaking to his disciples in parables. And he says something real interesting in verse 15. He says, for this people, talking about the Jewish people, for this people here, it says, have eyes that see not and ears that hear not. Their, wa- their heart is wax gross. They have ears that see not. They have ears that hear not. Lest seeing with their eyes they see, hear, and they would hear and understand with their heart and be converted and I would heal them. But they do not have those kind of eyes and ears and heart because they rejected the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the King of glory. And God placed a judicial blindness upon the Jewish people in general to where they could not see, could not hear, and could not feel. Therefore, they would not be converted and they would not be healed. That was pretty serious judgment, wasn't it? Extremely serious judgment. But then he says to the disciples, But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And blessed are your ears, for they hear. (laughs) I really believe I'm looking at people here this morning that's got those kind of eyes. You got eyes that can see and ears that can hear and a heart that can understand. And the Lord said, you're blessed. Oh, it almost seems like an understatement, doesn't it? (laughs) What would you trade the knowledge of the truth for? Psalmist says, we're to buy the truth and sell it not. What can you get for truth that would be equal or greater than truth? Nothing. You'd be in the hole. You'd go backwards. You'd get the raw end of the deal. God has given you some eyes to see and some ears to hear and a heart to understand the wonderful good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But blessed are your eyes. Then he goes on to say this. He says, For there were prophets and righteous men in times past who desired to see the things you see and to hear the things you hear, and they saw them not and heard them not. So what's he saying here? In the Old Testament day, there were those who could see the Lord Jesus Christ through the benefit of the prophets a long ways off. They saw the Lord in glimpses here and glimpses there. I love reading the Song of Solomon, those eight chapters in the Song of Solomon, and that love letter between Solomon and, and his bride. Oh, uh, all of the, you know, the language there, the symbolic language is so wonderful and so beautiful as they, as they observe and admire one another. As we see the prophets talking about Jesus, uh, you find a verse here or a verse there. You're reading the book of Isaiah, just reading along there, and all of a sudden you come to Isaiah 7, 14. 
He says, in that day shall a virgin conceive and bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. He said, whoa, how in the world can a virgin conceive? You just read about the virgin birth of Christ is what you just read. <laughs> and so they got a little glimpse of something to come, you see, but not the full picture. He says, for righteous men, we're talking about righteous men and prophets have desired to see the things you see. Now, we're living way over here in the New Testament day, and we've got a complete Bible. We got a New Testament, go with the Old Testament. And we got the gospel church that God has placed here in this world and called men of God to come and preach the wonderful good news and glad tidings of the gospel of God's dear son to God's people. We're living in such a blessed age, my friends, in regard to what I'm talking about here. They desired to see it and didn't see it. Uh, let's go to Hebrews eleven thirteen, And here he's talking about people like Abraham and Sarah. And it says for... By, by faith, it says, they saw the promises of God afar off, but yet not did, they did not receive them, they, as they did not experience them. But having seen them afar off, they were persuaded of those things and embraced those things and confessed they were pilgrims and strangers here in this world. Oh, they had some light and understanding, but not the same degree of light that we should have and have opportunity to have in the present day in which we're living. David said in Psalms 119, verse 18, he said, open thou mine eyes, O Lord, and thou might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Here, the prayer of David is, there's wondrous things in your law, O Lord, but I need my eyes to be open to see it. Open thou mine eyes. Reading the Bible is one thing. Having your eyes open to the truth, uh, you know, contained in it is another thing. So that should be a prayer of mine every day, a prayer of yours. O Lord, open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. There's wonderful things in your law. Wonderful things that's full of wonder contained in your law. To read the scriptures, to, to see the miraculous things of God. As I've, I've said many times before, you know, man is, is good at some things. He's good at amusing people. That's why you have amusement parks. That's where you go get to be amused. But I like to go to the national parks where I go to be amazed. I go to Grand Canyon, I'm amazed. I see Niagara Falls, I'm amazed. I see the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm amazed. I see uh, Yosemite, I'm amazed. I see Yellowstone, I'm just amazed at what I see. The Rocky Mountains, I'm amazed, because that's God's work. He's never failed me yet. He always amazes me. <laughs> What's God ever done that you've read about? What's God ever done that you've seen and you've heard that didn't amaze you? Karen and I was at the Grand Canyon a number of years ago and just got there and it wasn't a beautiful sunny day. It was kind of cloudy. Wasn't the best of conditions, but the first sight of that Grand Canyon took our breath. And a day later, this little boy come running up there to the, uh, and looked out over it and he and his family from New York and he says, is this what we ran, came all the way from New York City to see? He was underwhelmed. <laughs> I was overwhelmed. He was underwhelmed. He thought it was a wasted trip. <laughs> God amazes, does he not? All right, he's giving you these eyes in which you're able to see. And I mentioned a while ago how he told Moses, he says, who hath made God's mouth? In other words, if God made you, Moses, I made you. I gave you a mouth to be able to talk, Moses. And I'm going to go with you and I'll teach you what to say. 
Man says, who made man's mouth and who made uh, the dumb and the, and the seeing and the blind and the deaf? Well, we're all part of God's creation. But God demonstrated through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's got the power over these things to correct them. I'd like to go over here and look at a, a, a miracle uh, that Jesus performed. It's recorded for us in Mark chapter 7. This particular miracle, and the second one I want to mention, is found in Mark chapter 8, or found only in the Gospel of Mark. Now, some things Jesus did are found in several of the Gospels. There's only one event that Jesus did, one miracle he performed, that's found in all four of the Gospels. That's when he fed the 5,000 men, besides women and children, five loaves and two fishes. All four Gospel writers record that. But many of the other things Jesus did, Two of maybe three of the gospel writers mentioned it, but sometimes we find it restricted to just one gospel. So that's what we have here. In Mark chapter 7, they bring a man to Jesus. About around verse 31, 32, somewhere in there. They bring a man to Jesus for him to lay his hands on him. Now this man, they bring to the Lord Jesus Christ here, he cannot see. And they bring him to him. Excuse me, this, this man here, uh, he, uh, this man here has got an impediment of speech he cannot hear. And the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ took him away from the multitudes. Now you might just be reading that and not think much about it, but let's think about it a minute. Why did he take him away from the multitudes? You might be thinking, well, if a great miracle is going to take place here, you'd want everybody possible to see it, right? But that's not the way Jesus operated. Look over here in Philippians 2, 5, and Paul says, Let this mind be in you was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbed it equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Jesus, everything he did, was nothing, nothing he ever did was to draw attention to him. It was not to draw attention to him. And that's the spirit and attitude I ought to have, and the spirit and attitude you ought to have. If you do something to somebody, do it in a manner and way. Don't bring attention to you. That's not the purpose of giving. That's not the purpose of helping. Not to bring attention to you. It's simply to help somebody. That's what Jesus was always doing. We're told to have the same mind in us as in the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes him away from the multitude. And the Lord spit. You're going to notice in three of the miracles I want to mention this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ spit. It's in all three of them. Jesus spit. Put his hand, fingers in his ears and touched his tongue and immediately the man's ears were open. They could see, and immediately the string of his tongue was unloosed. He no longer had an impediment of speech, but now he could talk freely and hear clearly. Now the Lord told him not to tell anybody. <laughs> this is in keeping again with the character of our Lord. Jesus didn't want multitudes of people coming around uh, just uh, out of curiosity and things of that nature. So he told him not to tell anybody. Well, we come into the next chapter and they bring another man to the Lord. And this man is blind. Now back on that other man just for a minute. Now this man couldn't hear, but he could see Jesus and he could feel Jesus. All right, now they bring another man to him that he might lay his hands on him, might touch him with his hands. And this man here is blind. There's at least seven 
seven cases of blindness in the gospel, at least seven that Jesus dealt with. And this is very unusual and very unique here. We find this man comes to Jesus. Jesus takes him out of the city, just like he did the other man. He takes him away from the boat. He takes him out of the city. The city, by the way, was Bethsaida. And it's a reason he took him out of that city. Two reasons. One I've already given to you. The other reason is the town of Bethsaida had been cursed by the Lord Jesus Christ because of their rejection of him. So he wasn't going to do that miracle in that city. They're going to miss out on the blessing of that. He takes him out of the city. And he's going to spit on his eyes. And he's going to sigh. Go look up to heaven. He's going to sigh. And in his sigh, he says, which means be opened. And immediately his eyes were opened and he could see something. But he just couldn't see real clear. And people kind of get mixed up about this because they, Jesus said, what do you see? He says, I see men walking as trees. And so he put his hands on his eyes again and he looked up, he saw clearly so some critic of the Bible, you know, is going to say, well, see there, Jesus had to do a second work. See there, Jesus had to do something over again. He wasn't just perfect as people say. Well, no, Jesus didn't have to do something over again. He did that way exactly on purpose. For whatever reason, we may not be able to discern it, may not be able to find out exactly, but for some, for some reason, this is exactly how he dealt with this man as an individual right here. This man could see God gave him his sight. Jesus gave him his sight, right? He gave him his sight, but the first time he looked, he didn't see clearly. He saw men walking about as trees. But the second time, he saw clearly. So I was thinking about that. And I think about the saints in the Old Testament day, as I've already mentioned. They could see the Lord Jesus Christ in glimpse here and a glimpse there in shadows and prophecy and types, etc. But they couldn't see him like we see him over here in the New Testament. Vision's got a lot better over here. But what's the Bible say about us? In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says we look through a glass darkly. So we don't see with perfect vision ourselves, do we? But our vision is a lot sharper and a lot better than those was in the Old Testament day because we got a New Testament. We got the information right here. But the day is going to come when we're all going to see perfectly. The day is going to come that nobody will look through a glass darkly. The day is going to come when nobody's going to see Christ through prophecy or through types and shadows and a glimpse here and a glimpse there. You know, when you see through a glass darkly, I just kind of think about looking, you know, I can see y'all as I move that glass around, but trust me, it's not near as clear as this when it's set down. <laughs> but I know you're out there. But the day's going to come, I'm not going to look through a glass darkly anymore. I'm not going to be looking by faith anymore. The day's going to come, there's going to be a place where there will be no blind, there'll be no deaf, there'll be no lame, there'll be no lepers, there'll be no death. Because resurrection takes care of everything. When resurrection takes place, I guarantee you, you won't see anybody in a wheelchair. You won't see anybody with a walker. You won't see anybody with a cane or a walking stick. You won't see anything like that. 
But those things were important for people to see in their day because that's what gave John the Baptist some encouragement that you read about in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is in prison. He's in prison because he simply told, uh, you know, Herod, it was improper for him to have his brother's wife. And he's put in prison. He's got very cast down, very discouraged. I'm telling you, the most optimistic person in all the world, the most upbeat, optimistic person in all the world, uh, a person that's got the best outlook and best attitude in all the world doesn't get through this life without a few cast down moments. I'll tell you that now. Sometimes people say, well, you know, the pastor, he, he lives so close to the Lord, he never has a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Who pastors the pastor? <laughs> you ever thought about that? <laughs> I pastor myself. You know how I do that? I just think, well, now if I was somebody else and coming to me with what I got on my mind, what would I tell them? <laughs> sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. John is cast down. Oh, he's, oh I don't know how he could be cast down. He baptized Jesus Christ. He saw the Spirit of God come right down out of heaven on him. Then he saw the windows of heaven open up and the Spirit of God descend like bodily form and shape of a dove. Hear the voice of God crying out, this is my beloved Son whom I am well pleased. Oh, no, he no way he can get cast down. Oh, yes. He sent two of his disciples to find out, is this he that should come or should we look for another? The Lord told those two disciples, he says, you go back and you tell John what you have seen and heard. Now, notice this. He didn't go back and he didn't tell them to go back about some things they knew nothing about. He says, you go back and you tell John the things you have seen and heard. He says, the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the dead are raised back to life again. Oh, see how God perfected the imperfect see how God took that, the imperfections and perfected them. That's what's going to happen in the resurrection. That's what's going to happen in the last day, the end of time. God's going to perfect all the imperfections. <laughs> Won't that be great? Won't that be wonderful? Whatever imperfections there are, God's going to take care of all of them. He's going to eliminate them, brother. He's going to wipe them away. And he gave us a little sample of how he's going to do it while he lived here in time. He didn't heal all the lame. He didn't give sight to all the blind. He didn't uh, give hearing to all the death because he's a sovereign God. But he did it enough with witnesses, my friends, to where people could understand his power and know that one day it'll be done for everybody. Everybody. Now, in between these two miracles I just mentioned, the Lord did another miracle. The Lord took seven fishes, excuse me, um, seven loaves and a few small fishes and fed 4,000 people. And then he got into a boat with his disciples. And he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Bible tells us on that boat they had forgotten to take bread with them and they only had, didn't have more than just one loaf. 
So they had one loaf of bread. They forgot to take more bread. So the Lord says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the disciples just automatically thought, oh, we didn't bring bread. He's rebuking us for not bringing bread. And the Lord looked at them. And the Lord said, have you not eyes to see? Have you not ears to hear and a heart to perceive? He asked them this question. He said, when I fed the 5,000 men, now this is previously, when I fed the 5,000 men without, <clears throat> besides women and children, how many baskets did you take up? That's what he's asking them. They said, 12. He said, when I fed the 4,000 with the seven loaves and a few little fishes, how many baskets did you take up? He said, seven. He said, have you already forgotten that? Have you already forgotten that? It seems kind of incredible they'd already forgotten that, but then I take a look at old me. I take a look at old me, and I get all downcast, and I get all torn to pieces, and I think, well, what's wrong with me? Have I forgotten what the Lord's done for me in the past? If I've forgotten how God's took care of me, if I've forgotten how God has fed me, clothed me, sheltered me, if I've forgotten about the hope in my heart, if I've forgotten that God regenerated me and made me alive in Christ and gave me some understanding that one day I'll be with Him in glory, have I forgotten all of that? I guess I did for a little while. Have you eyes and see not and ears and don't hear? Have you, don't you remember? Now, somebody says, Brother Lawrence, see, there's, there's a contradiction in the Bible. See, what the Lord is saying here was just one miracle, and he's getting the facts mixed up. No, he did not. When you compare those two miracles, you see they were both distinct. You'll see they were done in different places, and there's some comparisons, but also some distinctions. That first miracle took place in Galilee, primarily for Jewish people. That second uh, miracle took place in Decapolis, which is primary Gentile territory. That first number was 5,000 men. The second had 4,000 men. The first was five loaves and two fishes. The second was uh, seven loaves and a few small fishes. Twelve baskets taken up, seven baskets taken up, and even the baskets were of different size. When he fed the 5,000, the baskets were small. Take up 12 small baskets. But the basket over here with the 4,000 was large enough for a man to stand in it. You say, how do you know that, Brother Lawrence? Because I read about in the book of Acts where Paul did that. <laughs> Remember when Paul, when he went to Damascus, how uh, they were after him and the disciples laid him over the wall in a basket, same size basket, a big hamper, big enough to put a man in and let him down over the wall. They were two miracles, not one miracle with mixed up information. The apostles, Peter and John, said, we cannot help but speak the things which we've seen and heard. Said, we've seen him. We've talked to him. We've handled him. Notice how John starts off 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, and seeing, uh, uh, seeing him and handling him, the word of life. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, we saw him, we heard him, we handled him, we are witnesses. And the things which we've seen and heard, we declare to you that your fellowship might be with us in the gospel of Jesus Christ and with Jesus. 
says, we've seen things, we've heard things, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to say something about it. The things they held were great treasures in their lives, and they said, we can't help but speak those things we've both heard and seen. And I believe that the Lord's churches have that kind of uh, mouth, you might say, where it is broadcasting as much as possible. You know, where God gives us the opportunity, the good news and glad tidings of a risen Savior. The good news and glad tidings of, of a Savior that sits on the right hand of the majesty on high. The good news and glad tidings of a Savior that's coming back one day as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And our problems and our sorrows and our troubles will all be over. And we can be with him. Mind the story of a wonderful minister of the gospel of ours, Pat Bird down in southeast Georgia and he was in the hospital and he didn't have long left and some of the young ministers esteemed him so highly came to get his counsel on something. And he said, brother, he says, y'all just got to go figure it out for yourself. I'm about ready to get out of this mess. <laughs> Amen. Amen. If it's in the mess that we've got in the world today, then don't ever show me one. I just, I don't want to see it. If it's in a big mess, but thank God, God specializes in correcting things and perfecting things. And I know he's going to do it for all of us. Thank you so much for your wonderful, good attention here this morning.